Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. Hi, John. Hey. Hey. Hi, Valentine. Hi there. Hi there. Uh, Valentine is a sex worker who specializes in strip club work, queer porn performing, and photography. She lives near Portland, Oregon, but travels worldwide doing this work and has been active in the industry for 12 years. She is a cis femme queer woman of color and has some unique perspectives on the adult entertainment and sex work industries. You can follow her on Twitter or Instagram at Vaughn Betty, V-O-N-B-E-T-T-I-E, and at Valentine underscore PDX, and contact her via email model.valentine at yahoo.com cool thank you so much for coming over it's such a rainy day it's perfect for like talking in a room um so we're nice and warm we're inside now um so valentine 12 years so it's now 2020 so you started in 2008 yep 2008 math okay how did you enter into the sex work industries um i kind of started out in this sort of like vanilla sense of it um i started waitressing at a strip club and we hear that a lot yeah it's really it <laughs> feels so, like such an easy transition you know mm-hmm. um and eventually you get curious about the pole and um i worked for deja vu and i was oh, in tacoma I've washington Is yeah that oh, yeah Oh, they're oh, okay. all over. Oh, no, John, we've talked about them. They're the ones that were forcing, like, employee status changes in California. Mm-hmm. She's not. Yeah, I remember one of our uh, friends that we uh, that we met with at my birthday dinner who was complaining about Deja Vu and how um, mm. she'd gotten kicked mm-hmm. out of every Deja Vu club for complaining about the, the management <laughs> not being responsive to dancer security concerns. Does so. that sound accurate? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a thing that happens. Yeah. So you started there. Okay. Yeah. So I started there and they have, um, I'm not sure if they still do this, but at the time they had waitress nights. And so I, or like they were close to like their amateur nights as well. But I, as a waitress was like, hmm, well, I'd rather be on stage and just practice and get, you know, maybe some tips. And so eventually I just started doing those nights where I would sign myself up and I would strip as a waitress. Hmm. And then um, eventually I got fired because management is really, you know, it's strip club management is uh, volatile. Yeah. Is there anything you want to mention about that or? 
Um, no, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't anything like not worth mentioning. Yeah, it was just. It yeah. was just um, an unfortunate series of events. Yeah. Um, but I did transition at that time up to their sister club that had just opened up Little Darlings in Seattle. Okay. And I started working there and really, really loved it. And it was again like as you both know, like Deja Vu has its own sets of set of standards that don't necessarily align with other strip clubs. Okay. And so a lot of it was really challenging. Okay. Is there anything you can specify for our listeners who aren't in the industry might not understand? Um, so the back rent thing was really challenging. So basically back rent is when you have a house fee and you work a shift. And if you are unable to fulfill that house fee, then you are uh, basically essentially in debt with that club. Mm-hmm. And that comes with its own set of... Uh, punishments in a mm-hmm. sense or things that happen to your shifts or um, limitations until that debt is uh, fulfilled and there's I mean oh, wow. legitimate reasons well it's and it's not like dancers are like I just don't I mean this this is this I think was created to discourage dancers from being like I'm just not going to show up for my shift but instead there's like many many reasons why people don't go to work it's like I'm seriously injured or this crisis just happened or my kid is hurt like there's been real horrible no. things that have happened to people and the managers are like I don't care you owe me $50 correct yeah. and now you owe me 100 the next time you come in yeah okay. and with deja vu specifically they have some of the highest um house fees I have ever encountered wow so that's crazy it, it was like at the time I think it was 60 to work during the day and wow. then it was 120 to work at night so a lot of times I would work 16 hour shifts to get the day rate and right so if I showed up right at the beginning and I worked all the way through I would get cheaper rent and you know mm-hmm. sometimes I slept in my car because I was just so tired that I, I just slept in my car up in Seattle and didn't want to drive home and then I would start Damn. over again that's insane um sex work is real work yeah. So, okay. So have you learned some things in the sex industry? What has the sex industry taught you, <laughs> you know, that we, that we're not taught? Well, um, after leaving that club, I entered the first settlement that they ever had and I got $500 back. Yay. Cause I was, you know, I was diligent about it. I was like, I worked as a waitress. I worked as a dancer. I tracked my hours. A lot of people were afraid to enter that because they were worried that they were going to receive punishment they were worried that they were going to get fired because, you know, they thought their name was going to be released. And I just really didn't care. I wanted to get paid what I was due oh, for that wow. club. That's brave of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing happened. So <laughs> that's great. Hey, glad to have you. Glad you're still standing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so besides like predatory fines and fees and sleeping in your car to make do, that's that doesn't surprise me. But it's like, you know, when people are like, oh, my God, strippers all make six figures. <laughs> wild (laughs) (laughs) I wish Uh, I mean maybe at one point some people do some people can still do it I truly believe that yeah Um, good for them and you know I think that rolls into what the sex industry has taught me is you are a market you are a brand and if people believe in your brand and they believe in you they will stick they stick around and I think a lot of people still making three figure or six figures sorry mm-hmm. um, are the ones that have steady clientele they have held those relationships down for many years mm-hmm. and they continue to produce that brand that the people know and love out mm-hmm. of those performers and providers and other sex workers that's really good business uh, business advice really like 
you know, and that's something a lot of people have to consider no matter what they're doing. Like, who are you trying to connect with? Who are you actually connecting with? Can you be objective about any barriers to who you're connecting with? Um, so, okay. So what have been some of the other obstacles to the work? Can you think of what was hard about working pre-FOSTA? Because I feel like pre-FOSTA, I took a lot of shit for granted. I agree. I, I mean, I, you know, approached it in a sort of lackadaisical way where I was just like, mm, everything is so readily available and mm. fun and free. And I remember like the days of Craigslist where I would just, you know, pick up random gigs. I was like a sushi girl at a bachelor party, mm. you know, just things that were just so readily available. And now that those things are gone, it's really, really hard. Because you could find the listings. Exactly. And reach out. Yeah. It right. was, it was, there was no filter. Like you could, no. if you wanted it, you could find it mm -hmm. and it was readily available. No. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I think that that just really lended itself to having more opportunity, more financial um, opportunity. Yeah, opportunity and gain and mm. the ability to invest in yourself because it was there. Yeah. If our listeners have listened all the way through, they know exactly what FOSTA did to impact our abilities to advertise and connect with people. Um, but just like in a nutshell, if for some reason this is the first episode you've <laughs> ever found, welcome. But yeah, it, FOSTA and SESTA made it so that now adult sexually oriented businesses are conflated with sex trafficking and the websites don't want to be held liable like Backpage was. Um, so they just don't allow any listings. This is why Instagram keeps deleting people's photos, you know, even if it's a bikini because they could say, well, this is solicitation. <sighs> yeah, I think that the post era has it's just really unfortunate i'm seeing so much more targeting of sex workers spam coming towards us like, trying to close our accounts like it's almost like a just this sort of phishing constantly mm -hmm. you know i have had myself and many performer model friends get strange emails from platforms assuming that they're going to get in trouble and then they give them information and they lose their account Oh my God, like what? Like what does that look so like? So I had my, I had a, a Twitter that I had built up for years mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was at 5,200 followers, mm -hmm. which, you know, it, after all of the companies and all of the work that I had done and networking, that's a lot. And it's a lot of financial security. Mm -hmm. um, I received an email from Twitter and I, it said that I had committed copyright infringement. And of course, that's kind of jarring because you're like, oh, and no. vague. Yeah, vague. Yeah. And so it said basically to log in and confirm, you know, what was going on. And I did. And hours later, my account was gone. What year was this? That was uh, 2019. 2019? Yeah. Because for a minute, yeah, Twitter was shadow banning and kicking off mm -hmm. people. And then they did a severe 180. And now you can post links and vids yeah. and all kinds of clips. To they're kind of turning back the other way. And they're they're creating these filters over all of our content called sensitive content filters. Oh. And so you basically have to deem your account containing that sensitive nope. content to not get shut down because they're starting to do that again. They're starting to come. But the nice thing is that that means that it's now an almost Tumblr level of porn existing on Twitter. Um, I would like to quickly chime in as the uh, probably only person who masturbates to Twitter on a daily basis. Sure, yeah. Um, so I am the expert, but 
Um, <laughs> I love Tumblr porn. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, me and um, people are just uploading like porn to Twitter and the way that they used to on Tumblr, where these Tumblr people would have followings based on their nude uploads. And this is a thing now. And Twitter's really being used that mm -hmm. way, which is surprising because no other platform is getting used that way, right? Like Facebook completely banned everything except for like, I think it's art. And then like in certain cases, if it's like protest or if it's around breast cancer or if it's around some sort of social cause, but if it's not, then yeah. Oh yeah. Immediately, yeah. immediately after giving yeah. birth. I wonder what the window is, right? When you're like no longer birth. like a pregnant mother enough to like post your titties. <laughs> but yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it's crazy because like, you know, oh I, I used to use these platforms. I, I surfed Craigslist a lot and I saw the community that was there. And it's crazy to me that we live in a country that prides mm -hmm. itself as having free speech and valuing people's rights but at the same time is like hey you want to have sex and be able to talk about it and be able to ask for it on our online forums that are the new way that people communicate nope because <laughs> uh i don't know we're not comfortable with that because nope. we don't know how to police sex yeah. because we can't talk about sex so we'll just shut it all down well there's yeah. still a lot of people in this yeah mm -hmm. really yeah um, okay, so m let's talk a little bit locally. Um, are you a black woman? I am. I am mixed race. You're mixed race. Okay. Do you want to talk about what mix? Yeah, um, I am African-American and white. Okay. Those conflicting things. <laughs> so, but out in the world, do you feel like you pass more like a black woman? No. No. Okay. That sounds like a whole other separate episode. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what is it like working and living here in a very, very white city of Portland? Um, to be honest, it, it's... You can make us uncomfortable. Seriously, go off. I don't care. It's kind of... <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, this is probably going to make anyone uncomfortable, I guess. But to me, I kind of operate... I know that I have more privilege than a lot of other people of color, just based off, you know, being mixed race and the way I present myself and all of those things and the way that I've curated my life to, to be comfortable as much as I can. Um, I think that that lends itself to a lot of different factors. However, as a whole, um, I see this really lovely movement of people of color banding together and creating these really beautiful communities here, but it still feels quite shadowed and it feels like, Portland is just a, a special place where a lot of our cultures are emulated, but a lot of us are not celebrated still. Mm. Like there's, I've never encountered a city that caters to hip hop so much, but it's mostly white spaces. And interesting. I'm like going into the space. Like, I mean, other people notice it too. We go into these spaces and we're like, wow. Okay. So you're going to play these songs and mm. there's mostly white people my club. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting sort of place to be. And um, for myself, uh, a lot of it has been really hard to engage with because it's a life I live every day. You know, mm -hmm. I, I live a life where I feel like I'm very much in the middle where I don't feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not white, but I'm obviously not like darker skinned and so I feel like I'm very much in the middle of that and that mm -hmm. feels like a, a, a limbo mm -hmm. um, that it's been talked about amongst a lot of different people who are mixed race where it's like you don't feel like you're 
in either side of it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you fit in either community. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be in the white community, but you know, it's uh, it's been very interesting, and especially as a black woman uh, who is a sex worker and queer, mm-hmm. it's a whole other ball game here. Mm-hmm. And I recently learned I am the only black porn performer in Portland. I saw you post that on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I was looking for that. What was the reaction to that? Was anybody else? I Did mean, anyone else come out of the shadows and say, no, I am too? Like, no, no one else? No, there was another model. I mean, I asked Sex Work Twitter because that's what we have. It's called Sex Work Twitter. It's like this whole other part of Twitter that like caters to us. Um, and the other model that was here was also mixed race and mm. she moved. Mm. And um, right. uh, they're just, I mean, it's really interesting because Portland is vastly Single. sex positive and kink positive, but there's still very little community here for actual porn work Mm -hmm. yeah that's true yeah that's very true um i think a lot of times porn like classically porn was centered you know in southern california and in like cities of industry that Mm -hmm. can be very affluent which makes sense because you look at who they were hiring what kind of porn they were making where it was just like shot in mansions by models that obviously could afford to get their entire bodies exfoliated and waxed before, (laughs) you know, like it wasn't girls that I grew up with. It was like, okay, money. So I think of porn being like a, used to be people moved here because it was affordable and like cheaper to live. So I think of it as a less rich city. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the, I think that people came in and they asked me like, are you the only black sex worker? And I was like, no, I'm not definitely Mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are people doing, camming and like adjacent As, porn things yeah but yeah but i'm the only industry level person huh so okay fascinating <laughs> um and you're non-monogs do you say poly or non-monogamous i'm poly you're poly okay is there a distinction for you in those words yes um i felt like i practiced non-monogamy for a long time and until I actually discovered I could be poly, I could split my feelings between two people. Um, I definitely felt more comfortable in that realm. Mm-hmm. And especially as a sex worker, it feels almost crucial because I encounter so many different kinds of people that me splitting my emotions and time instead of just centering one person and everyone else being a little bit othered mm-hmm. uh, it feels just disingenuine to me that makes me want to re-examine the words that I use because I say that I'm not poly because I at this stage in my life can't imagine cohabitating with another partner mm-hmm. or splitting my time equally between like B and another person but we have like play partners and relationships and I care for those people but I, I try to stay away from polyamorous because I don't feel like I deserve it mm-hmm. so that makes sense if you're leaning more in that way mm-hmm. yeah um, so are there any we've so I'm kind of cheating here because you and I sat on a panel together Mm -hmm. and I got to hear you talk about relationships this is what brought this up for me um do you have any like quick pros or cons of multi-dating because people are like oh it's actually harder to be poly or (laughs) non-monogamous um it definitely I mean I've only been I've only practiced it once I had a long-term partner for six years and then I entered another relationship and I was with that other partner for two years and you know everyone was pretty okay with that for for the time that it happened um the thing I will say is that the more partners you have the more breakups you have (laughs) and you know a lot of people process that in a different way um but it's still pretty hard but also when you have that and it's equal and it feels you feel like that level of compersion where you're like 
really happy and you're like, yay, like yeah. I'm really happy that my person is doing these things or my other person is doing this or however that looks like for you, then it feels really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, you know, like felt the highs and lows of that. But I would say, yeah, the pros are it's it teaches you a lot. It teaches you. It humbles you in how you manage your relationships and you know, you can definitely sense when it's going well, and then you can definitely sense when it's going wrong, mm. and you'll get multiple forms of feedback back. Isn't it, um, I don't know if you've had this experience, I'm mean, going to guess you may have, but have you ever looked around a room and you realized that you've had sex or sexual relationships with, like, many of the people in the room? Because <laughs> um, I do that sometimes. I'm like, ah. Oh. Sometimes in a room, not so much, but definitely... In my friends list, like <laughs> on my social media, I'm like going through it and I'm like, oh, wow, like mm. I've made out with at least 50%, if not more of these people. <laughs> I was going to say half of you. Yeah. So I have a young millennial version of that, which is going through your DMs and having a difficult time finding <laughs> people who you haven't traded nudes with. John um, is a very prolific um, nudes but, trader. He oh, was. I love that. Uh, yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Not anymore. It's yeah. really true. And also, I mean, yeah. a lot of people are using these other dating apps. But for me, using Instagram and Twitter have been far more successful for me. Mm. Yeah. Or in combination. Like, honestly, like the way I met my boyfriend was uh, Tinder. But we mm. eventually added each other on Instagram. And when mm-hmm. you can see pictures of someone in their life, you... It's it's almost like for the the it's a double edged sword, right? Because like the people close to you, you don't always want to see mm-hmm. what happens every day, because then you have nothing to talk about. But the people who are far away, that really does give you an idea of who or they are they and like the see. shit they do if they post. So like that was a really cool way to, yeah. I mean, or what they want you to see it's if it's just... like you know carefully manicured. But yeah, actually, it's funny. Me and uh, me and my boyfriend, one of our closest friends, her uh, her Instagram bio is uh, mm. everything oh is gosh. photoshopped. <laughs> yeah, I so I, post I appreciate my best angles, the, uh, for sure. the honesty. Uh, best, what I think is best. Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask her. Um, hey, Valentine, I wanted to ask you if uh, I like was curious. What are your favorite places to travel, and um, where are your favorite places to work when you travel? Um, if there are some that are better than others, was- like not just terms of like environment where like you know the scenery looks nice but also um i literally as soon as you said that berlin (laughs) i was gonna say you just got back from berlin berlin is just it's my favorite playground outside of the u.s (laughs) i saw a photo it looked like there was four of you in a hallway and there was a bunch of sex happening yes did you go to a ton of like uh darkly lit bars in berlin because those are amazing like there's so many of them like just like corner dark bars oh my god right (laughs) (laughs) um no actually so i am going to um definitely make up for not going into the dark cd amazing bars of berlin i did go to a couple but not as many as I would have liked. Mm. Um, so I'm going to be going back this summer and again in October, which is when their porn festival happens. Whoa. That's I need to get awesome. A Damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, it's it's just amazing being there, especially with the way how like with the way people are passionate about erotic art there. It's so Germany is just so liberated in a lot of ways, Hmm. like the way that they advertise. It's very I mean, you see nudity. I wonder if that is in response to the rebuilding after World War Two and the crazy like um, censorship that the Nazis, Mm -hmm. you know, 
forced upon everybody. I wonder if that was like in response to that. You know how the pendulum tends to swing the other way mm-hmm. back and forth. I don't know. I, I honestly have just encountered people who just feel so strongly about being liberated and mm-hmm. sharing them, their art and the, themselves and expressing erotic passion to the world. It's mm-hmm. I just think that it's a personable thing. Do you know Duam? I do. <laughs> Duam shot me once. Oh, my God. Yeah. D-W-A-M. They moved up to Vancouver and they're just... Do you know their screen name offhand? We should send people. It's <laughs> it's Dwam Dwam Dwam. D W A M three times basically. Three times yeah. on Instagram. And yeah. they're actually coming to Portland soon for photo shoots. Ooh, so, I should hit them up. Yeah. So they are now living in Vancouver, Canada and instead of France. And they are available for photo work. And nice. they are per- And they're French, right? Yeah. 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 Duam shot me for a website I'm not going to mention because I don't care for them anymore, but like maybe three months after I had my child. And so it was like postpartum body. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that photo set. Um, if you message me people, maybe I'll tell you what I'm talking about. <laughs> Otherwise. All right. Let's take a break. Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers. With unique features like a social feed, club reviews, income tracking, and event calendars, use it to grow your business at the touch of a button. For more information on Racks and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.racks2riches.com. R-A-C-K-S to riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Are you looking for personalized, non-judgmental medical care in Portland metro area? Solace Health, the office of Dr. Eric Shalan, provides full-spectrum primary care services including chronic disease and psychiatric medical management, acute injury and illness treatment, and men and women's sexual health in a unique model operating outside of the usual insurance system. Experience relaxed one-hour appointments with same-day availability, as well as direct physician access via text, email, or phone for a flat monthly fee of $67 to $100 regardless of insurance coverage. Visit solacehealthpdx.com that's S-O-L-A-C-E healthpdx.com for more information or call to schedule a free no obligation consultation to see if Solace Health is the right fit for your needs. 503-231-3371 solacehealthpdx.com Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. You can rate us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play where we will be until the end of the season. Um, and for hopefully a, a long time, we'll be stored on there, even once the uh, show ends. Yeah, and you can find Valentine on Twitter at Von Betty, Instagram, Valentine underscore PDX. Contact her, <laughs> model.valentine at yahoo.com. Uh, where was your other favorite travel place you said? Um, San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Berlin and San Francisco are my top favorite places to be and shoot porn and just network in general Mm -hmm. i watched a lot of porn that came out of san francisco for a little bit you know crash pad Mm -hmm. have you worked for crash pad absolutely of course you have yeah okay this was was before your performing time oh okay okay. (laughs) um an sf the armory or something are they Uh, shutting down the armory down yeah it got shut down. Um, I mean, they they actually technically didn't shut down, but they moved the the studio over to Vegas. Okay, but are they getting rid of? I'd heard them like building, buying some building. 
Um, yeah, so the building got bought, but they're still operating it in in various ways. Okay. Um, so but I don't think the... they have any plan to totally like destroy it or anything like that. Okay, interesting. Uh, so let's do some listener questions. This is very related. I'll read this one and then we'll see if we can be helpful. My partner and I are strongly considering making porn. We are in our early 30s, Canadian lower middle class white folks, straight passing queer non-monogs people and plan to have both vanilla and BDSM videos. We've looked into it, chosen a platform, talked to friends currently on the platform, considered the risks of eventually being outed, and are nearly ready to make our first video, but we have one concern. I have to say, good for them on, like, doing all this, lots of steps. Serious. Um, That's some good, good research. Good. Good prep. Yeah. Do you think sex workers have issues crossing the border? We are both backpackers and value travel above most of the other activities in our lives. Do you think facial recognition technology and that sort of screening will become standard at border crossings? I've heard of people being barred from entering the U.S. because of their dating apps and the assumption that they will be entering the U.S. to sell sex. I've also seen the recent media on protests and headlines about making sex before marriage illegal in Indonesia. Will our porn restrict our ability to travel? Let's just say, I mean, like these stories of people at the border, like coming in and having these restrictions on like, you know, devices or having their phones checked and content. And I'm like, holy crap, like which airports are they? Or like, is this like at literal border checkpoints? Like I have never encountered that, but I assume that domestically when you land, like if, if they know you're a U.S. citizen, then, you know, you don't go through all that stuff. Even for, for some international flights, it's probably a different route. But um, um, but I've, that's crazy that like they have so much power to to decide that way. I don't think that I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think any governments currently have good enough facial recognition technology to where they could. Yeah. Valentine's shaking her head. No. To where they could like see you and stop you. Because um, if that were the case, we would. I would just say be catching a lot more of the quote bad guys because that's what that technology would hopefully be designed to do. But. Um, you know, airports, like they don't have great security, like they really don't, you know, when people try to sneak on knives on the planes and shit, however, discrimination is worldwide and you just don't know what it's going to be like because it's different all over the place. So what do we know? What was the thing we were talking about earlier before we started Valentine? I had heard. Yeah, go ahead. So the one thing I was going to say is the only way I can imagine being stopped is if you had a previous crime, like if they scanned your passport and for some reason it gave them a red flag or what you're carrying is suspicious. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have traveled internationally a few times and I've never had an issue and I've had a whole bag of sex toys and no one's ever been like, what are you coming over here for? The only time it was an issue was um, a dancer friend and I were going up to Canada literally just to vacation Hmm. and we got pretty heavily questioned at the border and they were, uh, we expressed that we were dancers and then they were like, you're not coming up here to dance, are you? And we're like, no, Mm -hmm. but he kept us there for a while questioning us. Was that Um, scary? The one thing I do know is that um, international performers cannot work in the United States. So American residents and citizens or even people, I think I'm not sure about dual citizenship, but uh, folks who have uh, any sort of international heritage uh, cannot work over here, but we can work over there. So if they come over here and shoot a scene and it uploads somewhere and someone finds out, they can get in trouble. Yeah. You said people from Europe aren't allowed to film porn in America. Yeah. The ones I know of are Europe and Australia. Okay. And then in Canada, they don't allow foreigners to dance 
mm-hmm. in the circle. That's my understanding now. Yeah, especially with everything that's gone on. Um, anyone who is American trying to go up to Canada, from my perspective as an American, mm-hmm. uh, would not be allowed to. If they're carrying like, yeah, there was a, my snake lady friend, Joanna got a message from someone who said that they were stopped at the border for having stripper heels. So if you're going to try to go strip in Canada, you need to buy the heels and the rhinestone outfits once you get there and don't try to travel over there. I honestly just think it's safe, like safe for anybody, no, no matter what kind of form of sex work you're doing to Ugh. just be nondescript as possible, you yeah. know, entering a hotel, you know, anything that would not lead someone to kind of stop and question you for any reason someone the other day i was in a car of women and someone was like oh i saw this um spanger like hitchhiker chick and she had these stripper heels on her backpack and i was like that's really stupid that is a major like my friend was like oh good for her no shame and i'm like no that is a big fucking target for sexually assault me especially arrest me if you're a cop we'll talk about that more later (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah. So. But yeah, I would say as far as this question, I would think that they would be completely fine um, just knowing, you know, where they're from. So they're Canadian. Yeah, I would say just really ask around, ask other people um, if they can who has worked here because there are some discrepancies about, you know, shooting porn. If you shoot for a site at your residence that's different mm-hmm. like that you can you could host on a site i think um mm-hmm. depending on where it was shot at so if you're canadian and you're shooting porn for europe mm-hmm. it's not gonna be a problem mm-hmm. um to my knowledge but right. but things change all the time but things change all the time so right. it's so hard to know i think that it's it's kind of a, a tricky place to do like mm-hmm. but they've work. done a lot of research so far so just mm-hmm. keep doing it and that's like something worth mentioning is like we have to constantly update ourselves on what technology we can use and not use and yeah i mean the best thing if they've already chosen a platform is to maybe email them and be like hey we are canadian residents are we allowed to host content on your platform mm-hmm. yeah so hope some of that was helpful but no face scans you're probably fine on that yeah do you only date people in the sex work industries or how do you introduce non-industry people to your work do you date non-sex workers i do okay do you date people that don't work in sexuality because i know you had a partner who worked in sexuality education right yeah okay um yeah i do um however I have been single for almost a year, so unpartnered, um, but I lately have been shifting my thinking that I do prefer people who are in the industry or at least adjacent to it. Um, There is a deeper level of understanding about the work that takes place. Um, It's really hard to navigate that with people who are not in the industry, and I saw a bit of that with my uh, other partners and the sense of feeling shame projected onto me in which I did not have. I actually really Mm. don't have very much sexual shame at all. Nice. Um, Which feels really good, but it also really clearly um, speaks out to me and is visible when people have shame and they're trying to project it onto me. And I'm like, I don't share the same ideals and values as you in this regard. So without obviously like outing anybody um can you give example of what that looked like when they were showing shame yeah um this is like kind of the the tricky poly stuff but um one of my partners had another partner who um was very uncomfortable with my line of work and in that 
kind of created this sort of quarantining of myself uh, where they felt like I was higher risk because I was, you know, shooting with people or I was having sex with people and knowing well aware like my testing practices are the same, you know, things like that, like Mm -hmm. making informed decisions. And it was really challenging to navigate that and to feel like this person's feelings were being um, prioritized over my livelihood. Mm. And it felt really, really hard to navigate that. It was Mm. something that shouldn't have been in question at all. And I felt like having a partner who doesn't really combat that with you Mm -hmm. um, can feel pretty detrimental in the long run. Um, there were also times where I've had partners say things, you know, that were, that were kind of in passing and and seemed quick witted, but you know, jokes about like buying me and things like that. And I was like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to say those things. Oh, like buying you. So what, so like no one else could work with you? No. Um, like, oh, well I gave you this. So now you can give me. Oh, ha ha. You owe me. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Like yeah, those jokes are only really funny if like w- you're making them or both of you are making them on the yeah, same level. Yeah, like if it's yeah, but yeah. not yeah. Because I joke, <laughs> me and B joke that after three years he's running up quite the tab. <laughs> yeah, like there's definitely the a good way to go about it, and then there's like here's a silver coin for prostitution. Oh, like yeah, now you owe me, or like you know this is good for a night, right, or something. I don't know. There's there's like a way to go about. It. It's tact, tact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say after this, the relationships I just had. I would say that my priorities have been more geared towards dating someone who is a sex worker or, or active in the sex industry or adjacent. Um, and I feel like there is a distinct difference, even if someone is, you know, a sex therapist or mm-hmm. those things, because a lot of times those people still have shame. There's still yeah. a lot of shame that like I don't share. And someone kind of going back to what you said, John, like being on social media with someone, like if someone has a problem with me sharing my body with like thousands of people or has a problem with me flirting or networking in a way that looks hard and uncomfortable for them. Like that's not for me to decide. Like that is something that that person needs to work through. And Mm -hmm. I try to be very transparent about my life. And um, basically I just hope that, you know, whoever enters my life um, fully respects me and understands that it's my choice and I'm being as safe as possible and mm-hmm. I'm not here to uh, baby someone, baby step someone through it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The second part of that question, I don't know if we'll be able to really get to this, but how do you introduce non-industry people to your work? Like you, I mean, it must be on the first date, like they know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in my dating apps, I definitely state that I'm a sex worker. Um I definitely just throw it out there because I want people to really know what they're getting into right off the bat. And I want people to feel like if they can or cannot engage with it. And if they can't, then I respect that. If they can, then we can go from there. Mm -hmm. So anyone who isn't in the industry, I'm definitely happy to talk to them about it. Um, A lot of times people kind of choose stripping because they're like, oh, that's so glamorous. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's different. (laughs) Sure. It's what you think. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and I guess from my perspective as like a POC queer woman, it's different than other dancers. You know, it's just, it is what it is. It's our industry. So um, sometimes I do baby step people into talking about sex work and and my work in particular. Um, some people aren't ready to know about the porn thing right off the bat, mm-hmm. but I definitely bring it up 
lightly. Um, and you know, some people have been interested in seeing my content and sometimes I've decided to share with them and sometimes I haven't. Mm -hmm. And it really just kind of goes, uh, it's dependent on the person to person. Mm -hmm. I had a crush on a lady and she had mentioned, um, that she had tried to look for my content, but she couldn't find it. And she didn't want to like message me directly because then I would know that she wanted to see it. And I'm thinking, well, you're telling me all this right now, but Anyway, so is that kind of a funny feeling sometimes knowing that people can access, you know, like awareness of like, usually classically it would be, you'd go on a date with someone and you don't know what their body looks like. Mm -hmm. But most of my friends now, like that's how they met me. Yeah. Like, you know, you get my personality later. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And if you like that, that not like all of Instagram, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually, um, before I lovingly broke up with my therapist, um, we had I'm moving into a different modality it's it's not mm. bad good um, good but when I first started sessions with her she told me she googled me mm. and mine did too yeah mm -hmm. so um I actually have myself Sh do they do that do they just google patients have my therapist googled me well after my first appointment she googled me <laughs> yeah I wasn't positive oh how that like I wasn't I mean I felt fine about it I was like oh that's kind of sweet I did too she, she said she was trying to figure out more of like my backstory so mm -hmm. she would understand like contextually things better yeah but I told her right off the bat I was a sex worker and then uh, we met for our session and she was like oh I googled you and I was like oh okay <laughs> nice um so my therapist googled me um but I also had myself set on a lot of filters for google to not be like expansive mm. um but again, I can't control everything. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, congratulations on moving into a different modality of therapy. Thank you. Instead of like therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. Can I ask what that modality is? Yeah, I'm moving into somatic therapy Ooh. because I just have, you know, like we use our bodies day in and day out. And after a decade, quite a lot's built up. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's something that I recognized in myself that I need to assess and um there's definitely a different distinction between talk therapy and somatic therapy mm -hmm. yeah somatic i mean i think it literally means of the body of the body yeah yeah so that's awesome congratulations Thank uh you. speaking of the body let's see if we can tackle this listener question before we take our second break i don't know if i'm normal or not i love to orgasm but only when i masturbate alone it makes me uncomfortable to orgasm with my boyfriend like, totally out of control for my body, and it makes me feel unsafe and uncomfortable, even though I feel 100% comfortable with him. Is that normal? Question mark. Valentine and I were saying earlier that it personally took us many years to have orgasm with partners doing specific things, but like masturbation, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's normal because your brain wants to stay alert during your most vulnerable moments, and the presence of another human being there even if you like them and you say you you will 100% trust him, um, it's kind of like, have you ever had difficulty going to the bathroom when there's someone nearby? Like you can't relax. Their presence is just enough. Um, that could stimulate some cortisol production. You know, if you're worried about being judged, like, oh, I might make a funny face. Mm -hmm. Or if you're just an introvert. Um, mm -hmm. Or if you have any traumatic memories associated with men and sex play. You know, your brain doesn't know that you're safe until maybe you have numerous repeated like positive events with that person over and over again, just like you've had numerous positive masturbation events. So you relax. Um, I think I was surprised, but I didn't, God, someone's going to hate me for saying this. I'll reword this. Um, 
I can actually have orgasms when I do webcam now, and I couldn't when I started. So, yeah, check out Dr. Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are, because there's a lot of um, discussion about female sexual response. I know this person's a female because I saw who wrote the question. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, you're normal. Any other thoughts you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I would say... Again, yeah, I would reiterate that it is totally normal. However, there also lends itself to the feeling of being comfortable and being passionate with your partner. And I feel like someone can be totally comfortable, but they're not, their body is still not registering that specific spark that it takes to really let yourself be vulnerable. Um, and I've learned that myself, you know, a couple of times where I'm having a good time with someone. I'm like, wow, I trust this person. I'm engaged with them. However, I feel like my brain is just not connecting with my body. Like I can, if you can check out with someone mentally, then are you really totally engaging with that person? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's so much more enjoyable to masturbate alone. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, I don't have to worry um, about anything. But the only thing I can say is, yeah, it's definitely normal, but navigating your sexuality with your partner is is something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that either doing mutual masturbation could possibly bridge that gap or, you know, holding hands, just some sort of connective touch Mm. Um, I've known it actually has helped me personally. Like I've had partners put their hands on my throat, you know, and just lay there like, like they're not engaging with me sexually. They're just like touching me. Yeah. While you're masturbating. Yeah. While masturbating. And I feel like sometimes that can really just make you feel more connected as opposed to just like a, a partner just looking at you oh, or like, you're so right. Yeah. Cause B's um, done this time, this thing a couple of times where I've been humping my vibrator and he's like half asleep but he'll put like a hand on my lower back yeah and that just like (laughs) pushes me over the edge yeah yeah, it's like i'm with you but i don't have to really like do anything exactly (laughs) yeah it's really sweet like yeah same yeah love that okay well good so this person's normal we're all normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right let's take our second break hey friends are you sick of razor burn Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. Netherlands Wax is gender-neutral, sex-positive, trans and queer-welcoming, kink-positive, and body-positive. We are just over the 205 bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Are you a man looking for insight into the male brain? Looking for a safe space to hear discussions about the problems men face every day? Are you struggling in daily life, but finding it hard to pinpoint the cause? Maybe your relationship is suffering. Maybe your job is sucking the life out of you. Or maybe you love sex, but aren't having any. Maybe you're just finding it hard to feel genuine connections. Well, head on over to the Brome podcast, where hosts Ben and Joe discuss many of the issues we face in daily life, but have little guidance in. You'll learn from the bros, and from guests like Elle, on how to talk to women, or any fellow human being. How to be more understanding and compassionate towards others, how to listen to your partners in the sack, and much more. Brome podcast. B-R-O-A-U-M. Again, that's B-R-O-A-U-M. Are you looking for a sex worker-friendly therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality in the Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, Washington area? Sue Uveri is licensed in both states. 
Visit www.genderandsextherapy.com to learn more about Sue's offerings and her experience working with adults, youth, queer, and trans folks. Sue also accepts sliding scale rates for cash-only clients. Visit genderandsextherapy.com to meet Sue and to create a path to self-care and wellness. All right, welcome back to Strange Bedfellows podcast, strangebedfellowspdx.com. This is our last season. We're going to miss you so much, but you can uh, follow our hijinks and shenanigans. I am stripperwriter.com and on Instagram until they kick me off again. So a few years ago, it was a real big deal because Amnesty International is one of the worldwide leaders on, I guess, uh, human services and outreach work. Um, They published their statement on supporting decriminalization of sex work and a lot of people were very pissed about it i'm glad that they haven't uh, rescinded this because it's a bold move for an organization that does receive donations to make a statement especially when they did it was i don't remember what year but it was a couple years ago so i wanted to read this from their website yeah amnestyusa.org This article is called From Margin to Center, Sex Work Decriminalization is a Racial Justice Issue by Jasmine Sankofa. She's an AIUSA sexual and reproductive rights advocate. So I just want to read a a couple parts of this and we can comment on it. Uh, Sex work is criminalized throughout the U.S., typically as misdemeanor offenses. Similar to the way the U.S. treats and criminalizes drug use, the policing of sex work exacerbates stigma, compromises access to resources, justifies violence, and is steeped in racial disparities. Women of color, especially black, cisgender, and transgender women, girls, and femmes are particularly vulnerable. Uh, Because sex work and sex trafficking are conflated, interventions are focused on abolishing the sex industry itself instead of eliminating structural issues that drive exploitation. Some examples of this are profiling, strip searches, using condoms as evidence, uh, forcible and extorted sex, so such as when and this is legal and a lot of departments still do this, the cops doing the sting can engage in sexual activity and then arrest the person who's doing it. In Florida for a while, the rule was that the cops weren't allowed to ejaculate or else they couldn't use this as evidence. Fucking weird. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, there's still like no rules in most states about against uh, police officers having sex with uh, the people they arrest. Mm-hmm. Raping so. them, yeah. We want to be careful about our language. <laughs> so I thought yeah. this was No, but good. I mean under the law. Like, yeah. you know, even just sexual right. intercourse at it's all. It's not considered so, rape, yeah. But it definitely, in most cases, I think would be, you know, sexual yeah. assault. So I'm sure this it's underreported. This article says, although sexual assault is grossly underreported, Sexual violence is the second most reported form of police misconduct after use of force. So here is one example, because I got into a couple arguments with people who consider themselves allies um, about legalization versus decriminalization, where they were like, no, legalization will regulate who can do the work safely. And I'm like, yes, you're right, because poor homeless people who can't afford permits or whatever the fuck they have to go through to get licensing are still going to be arrested. And cops can't rape sex workers if they're not allowed to arrest them. Um, So uh, in L.A., this article says, black sex workers were targeted for nearly three decades. There's a hyperlink to 
more about that that I don't have time to read, unfortunately. Where did I want to go? Okay, so there's all kinds of depressing, sad statistics in here. Um, yeah, any thoughts on this, <laughs> Valentine? Gosh. Any comment? This is just the stuff I like to read for people who, again, have like no context for, for what this looks like, and we have to provide sad, harsh reality checks. Yeah, I mean... I think anyone in a place of power really stands to abuse that power. Um, and there's our police forces are no different. Um, taking opportunities in which to exploit people in their most vulnerable moment mm -hmm. and then criminalize them for it is no. incredibly abusive. And mm -hmm. I can't imagine, I just can't imagine having to go through that. And I feel like, legalization would definitely aid in that it would definitely be abuse of power even further it would definitely put more people at risk mm -hmm. um, just as these you know bills in place SESTA FOSTA are right now it's still limiting everyone into this sort of corner where they have limited options you know we are in this place of sort of fight or flight and decriminalizing is it just feels essential at this mm -hmm. point. You know, mm -hmm. it feels like it would give everyone an equal opportunity to to make a living in any way they see fit. You and know, to move through the world. And to move through the world, yeah. And it, it also just lends itself to just being a person who's trying to make a living and survive and not feel like you need to adhere to all of these already corrupt Mm -hmm. regulations in place, mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people don't know how to navigate those systems. A lot of people don't have the resources to navigate those systems. So it further isolates people and puts them at even more risk mm -hmm. uh, more than they already are now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oh, some local news that relates to that. Um, so our police chief, Danielle Outlaw, she's a black woman. She came here from Oakland. Um, I saw some reactions. I don't know if you did or how closely you follow local stuff, but I remember some people were stoked. They were like, oh my God, we're getting a black lady cop mm -hmm. to lead all the cops. It's going to be great. Um, she's waffled quite a bit. I'm looking at this article. Philly's new police commissioner has both defended and ended ICE partnerships. This was written by Anna Orso, January 5th, 2020, because it was just announced that Danielle Outlaw is going to Philadelphia now to become their new chief. Um, and she has a history working so in Oakland and Oregon. And now that she's going to Philadelphia, which has been described as one of the most, quote, determined sanctuary cities, um, she's still defended agreements with ICE working in different departments. And she's also tried to skirt direct questions about her, her involvement or her support about it. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, really, thanks for nothing. I can't say that she did anything rad over in Portland. We'll see if she does anything worth a shit in Philadelphia, but I don't really care mm -hmm. for her much. Um, for example, she was asked by a conservative talk show host, Lars Larson, last year in an interview, asking whether or not she planned to vote in favor of a ballot measure that would eliminate the sanctuary policy. And she said, I leave the politics to the politicians. My focus and intention is on behaviors. I don't care where you came from. So one of Outlaw's predecessors, former police commissioner Richard Ross, said last year that 
the police department in Philadelphia builds trust on the fact that it doesn't store data on immigration status or share information with ICE. He said, quote, there's no way in the world you would want to come forward as a source of information or criminal activity if you learned you would be deported. This example ties into there's no reason you're going to report violence or criminal activity against you if you are a sex worker and if your job is illegal. So by decriminalizing, I think we could really create this kind of not alliance because there's such great reason to be distrustful of power figures, but sex workers are more likely to report the terrible people we interact with if we can, you know? Anyway, all right, so one more thing. This is a little more uplifting. <laughs> uh, this was written by Issa Mazay. So there's an article on glamour.com. I was surprised they hosted this article, but the future is happening. We mm -hmm. are here. <laughs> normies are talking about sex work or letting normies are allowing sex workers to write about it <laughs> this article is called my life as a sex worker taught me everything i need to know about money um her editor might have chosen that title because sometimes my editors will do that and it kind of pisses me off because she didn't have a life as a sex worker she was a cam girl for a year and a half mm -hmm. but <laughs> but she has some good tips uh she said step one what's my brand we were talking about this earlier mm -hmm. <laughs> She said she would choose a fake hometown um, and that choices as these carried implications about who would watch her show, what they would expect, how she would convert them into higher tippers. Uh, number two, set your prices. This article was very interesting. If you're interested in being a cam girl, you might want to look this up. She gives kind of a breakdown of how she, how she operated and how it helped her be successful. Um, in this, she said, like most cam girls, I invested much of my income back into my business and the costs. So webcams cost $279, external mics $20 each, lights $129 each. I hired a lawyer to take down pirated content, $269 monthly, someone to Damn. shoot my porn, $850 a video, and I got regularly waxed, $80 an appointment plus tip, not to mention rent for camming space, $900 monthly. Plus furniture. Is this and all tax deductible as an independent like contractor? <laughs> yeah. 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 Dope. Yep. <laughs> um, so in the end, she says being a cam girl was the hardest job I've ever had. Next time you find yourself enjoying the content that sex workers make, compensate them. Pay for your porn and tip your strippers. Sex work is work, and it turns out hard work at that. She wrote the book Cam Girl. You can follow her at Isa is wrong. I-S-A is wrong. I don't know if I said her name right, <laughs> but that's her writing and we're grateful for it. Um, this was a great episode. Thank you, Valentine, so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank um, you for Can we me. talk about some sex work stories in the after show? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Cool. I was looking at the, um, there was a new, um, there's a new site that's called Takedown Piracy and... I was hmm. going into, I was going to lend that to that article about mm -hmm. having to hire a lawyer. A lot of industry workers and advocacy groups within the industry are providing these services now for people because it's such a problem. Wow. That's amazing. What is it called? Uh, I believe it is Takedown Piracy. I'm going to check it real quick. Ooh. Yep. Came right yep. up. Tell your clip stores you want them to use our tech. Takedownpiracy.com. Mm -hmm. Interesting. If anybody uses that, get to us. Let us know. Um, okay, one more time. Valentine, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Von Betty, V-O-N-B-E-T-T-I-E. 
and at Instagram at Valentine underscore PDX. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, John. Thank you, Valentine. Thank you. Thanks to our listeners. Let's do the after show. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strangebedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L. Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L. Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to Pillow Talk at StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com and find me, John, on Instagram at Metric.Cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.